The Young and Healthy Podcast. You're listening to the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. I'm Kate Setter, your host for today, and so pleased that you have joined us today for episode one of season four of the podcast. And we are going to be talking about the second half of the school year today because I know that I just recently sent my kids back for the second semester and school has very much been top of mind in our house. Um, And joining me today in the studio are Melissa Schaefer and Willie Janofsky. Yeah. Did I get it? You did great. Amazing. <laughs> and so they are both school specialists in our Center for School Services. And Melissa, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And Willie, thank you for being here too. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. So let's talk about school. Let's talk about school. Love it. Let's talk about <laughs> school. So as we are looking at second semester of school, second half of the school year, as teachers... What are you hoping for your students and what do you think parents can and should be thinking about to help their kiddos go into the second half of the school year, like really thinking in the right mindset? Well, for me as the first semester, because typically a lot of school districts are on semesters, others have like trimesters, things like that. But either way, as the the previous semester wraps up, um, I like to tell um, my patients that, you know, this is an opportunity to kind of learn from things that occurred during the first semester. Um, you know, if grades didn't end up exactly the way that you want it, it's a time of reflection to look back and ask yourself, what could I have done differently? Um, could I have studied different? Could I have approached this teacher in a different way? Could I have asked for help more often or in a different way? Um, and taking that as a learning experience moving into the second semester um, with that reflection in mind. So the second semester is a fresh start, right? Um, the slate is kind of wiped clean. And um, if the first semester, you know, if if credits weren't earned in the first semester for our high schoolers, there's opportunities to kind of earn the credit in the second semester or recover some of the credit from the first semester, things like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think as teachers, we're often thinking about what we can do to continue to help our kiddos to be successful, right? So f- coming from a perspective of a teacher, um, typically teachers are people who are empathic, who care about others, who put themselves in those positions to try to help others, right? So oftentimes teachers are thinking about what could I do differently or what should I know about that I may not know about? So I think something that's really valuable to know is that um, most teachers, and I won't say all because I know that there's always those outliers, but most teachers would love to hear about what could be done differently, right? Mm -hmm. So if um, any parent or child, for that matter, um, noticed something that caused a struggle for them and or was a barrier to their success. I think that um, something that those of us who are teachers are thinking about is what are those things and how can we find solutions to those? Um, So I think something that I think about often is communicating as much as possible to 
help me to um, understand what those things that I might not know about are to help create rapport, to help people feel comfortable, to feel that I'm a safe space for them um, to to make that change in the second semester. So I think that those are both things that um, we're hoping the kiddos can think of and also we as teachers are thinking of. So we know that school and studying don't come naturally to every kid and even some kids to whom they do come naturally, they don't love it. What are some of the most common reasons kids struggle in school? I think that some of the most common reasons that kiddos struggle in school are things like starting anything new, right? So fear of failure can be very scary. And so to avoid that fear, we uh, just try to avoid the thing that makes us feel fearful, right? Um, Lack of understanding your assignments and or having engagement in the classroom can be pretty daunting for some kiddos. So that could definitely be a reason why they would um, feel school avoidant or feel like they don't want to do their work in the classroom. Things like performance expectations being too high from um, certain professionals that are helping our kiddos. Um, You know, we're really thankful when they want the best for a kiddo, right? Um, But sometimes that can be really daunting and scary, again, instilling that fear. And then the response is, I'm going to be school avoidant. There's a slew of other things like struggles with time management, struggles with organization, um, feeling like you have pressure to do better than you're able to do, right? So the gaps in, in psychological testing maybe. Um, but as a teacher, I feel that you can do such a great job. Um, so those gaps can can cause a child to really struggle. Um, Also lack of routine or consistencies in home life. So there's so many different things that can affect, I think, a kiddo's desire to be successful in school and or do well, and then therefore want to act on avoiding (laughs) to not feel that way. Yeah, I hear a lot from patients um, that I work with that they're just generally overwhelmed, overwhelmed with the academic aspect of school, overwhelmed with the social aspect of school. There's not just pressures from teachers and parents to do well. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also pressures to, you know, be part of a certain friend group or be on a certain sports team, things like that. So, um, you know, the pressures and stresses from school affect the whole child, you know, mm-hmm. not just when it comes to like work, things like that. Um, so the struggles can really come from from anywhere, from any angle. So what about the kids who really are like all in on school, like they love school and often are really tough on themselves and have high expectations Mm -hmm. of themselves? Willie, what do you kind of think about for those kids heading into Mm -hmm. second semester and how to help them not only be successful, but also be kids? Absolutely. I think it's a really important topic to consider when we're talking about um considering all of the types of kiddos, you know, and, um, you know, when we talk about anxious kiddos, there's specific sets of um, suggestions and interventions to use. And when we talk about kiddos who have more perfectionistic tendencies, I think there are specific interventions to use as well. And sometimes they do coexist. So what I'm saying there is um, there is a goal, like writing smart goals, right? Specific, Mm -hmm. measurable, achievable, um, you know, all those types of goals. A kiddo who is more perfectionistic, we want to really check in on that their goals are SMART goals, right? We want them to feel successful. We want them to achieve their goals, but we don't want them to be too hard on themselves. So I think, you know, 
as a parent and or as a mentor or teacher, we can make sure that we're checking in on those kiddos and um, helping them talk through identifying, well, if they're old enough, of course, Mm -hmm. but help them talk through identifying autonomously if those goals are aligning with allowing them to then be a kid, right? to and maybe ask them about that right so if if all of my day all of my evening is taking if i'm taking part in doing my homework maybe we ask hey it sounds like it's a great idea to do 3 hours of homework and then how about after that you choose something that you love to do like socialize or um, tap into your creative side and draw so i think that engaging a conversation helping um, ensure that goals are smart goals um, and and then discussing what those barriers may be and helping to teach coping skills to help a kiddo work through that is really important. Melissa, what about you? What are you thinking for those kids who are going back to school thinking, I have a lot to accomplish? Yeah, um, we definitely get, I work specifically in the partial hospitalization program within psychiatry. So I do quite often see a lot of kids with those perfectionistic tendencies. Their goal is straight A's. You know, I have to be on the honor roll. I, you know, if it's not straight A's, if it's not 4.0 or even like a 4.5, we're seeing those really high GPAs, then they perceive that as failing. I like to talk with my patients about the difference between being a perfectionist and being a high achiever, mm-hmm. right? Because we want, it's okay to have really lofty goals for ourselves. It's okay to want to do more and be better and build your skills, right? But it's it's not important enough to sacrifice other areas of your Mm -hmm. life, like your mental health, right? So it's finding that balance. And it is like a delicate balance, right? Some kids ride that fine line of, you know, taking it too far, the perfectionistic, you know, traits, taking that too far. And then, you know, on the more healthy side, being a high achiever, but still having that balance between, you know, achieving goals and having a healthy social life and, Mm -hmm. you know, doing things that they enjoy, things for themselves. Um, So that's what we talk a lot about um, in our program. I think that's something that Melissa said that's really important is helping kiddos to understand what healthy versus unhealthy skills are. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes being unhealthy means doing my homework every night for six hours. Yes. And that can be very confusing, Mm -hmm. right? We're taught this is an unhealthy or versus healthy behavior, right? So I shouldn't hit someone that's unhealthy. But then kiddos really do struggle to understand if I'm doing something good, how could it be unhealthy, right? And we all know you can do something that is unhealthy. And that's a tough line. I mean, that's absolutely finding where that balance point is Mm -hmm. um, can be tough. So if we're thinking now about kind of this second half of the school year, What opportunities exist? What opportunities could um, a child or a family jump on at this point to regroup, reset, make some changes? What advice would you have in this area if there's something that wasn't great about first half of the year that they really want to try again? Something that I've found to be successful for kiddos is going through their list of their classes and identifying what their struggles are in that class and specifically writing down what coping skills to use during that time, Mm -hmm. and then visually pulling it out. So it doesn't have to be obvious, right? Just maybe pulling it out and checking out. Oh, wow, I feel really overwhelmed in science class. I should take deep breaths in my seat or count to 10. 
or identify things around me that help me feel calm. Um, and and after writing down those coping skills, practicing them even at times when they're not emotionally dysregulated or struggling so that then it is innate in their behavior to respond in those healthy ways. Um, so that could be an opportunity that could exist for a kiddo to regroup. Let me think about my classes and or um, plan for what coping strategies I will use in those classes. I think that that's one that I go to talking about a lot. Putting the, like your best foot forward in the second semester is about getting everybody on the same page. Mm -hmm. um, you know, working with patients and families and also with schools. Uh, more often than not, I find that there's some kind of disconnect. And when I talk to parents, they say one thing and then I talk to school and they say another, not necessarily in a negative way, but just in a way, oh, I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that they felt this way or I didn't realize that they were struggling. So I think communication is key just to make sure that we're all coming from the same place and we're all on the same page and we all have a common goal for the student, whether that's to, you know, spend more time on homework or be more organized or, you know, mm -hmm. get their grade up in math or whatever the small, you know, achievable goal is, mm -hmm. making sure that everybody's aware of what that goal is and, and what steps are going to be taken to achieve it. And oftentimes we'll hear things from guardians, like I can't get a response. And 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 we support by saying, well, with a kindness and a smile on your face, make sure that you are heard, right? So that might mean if you've written an email, maybe setting up a time to meet in person. Mm -hmm. And or, um, you know, if you've asked once, maybe write a follow-up. Um, and so we coach a lot on, on persistence and empowerment. Um, and and not holding yourself back as a parent for advocating for your child. Um, so I think that's really important with the communication piece too. I think that's mm -hmm. a big one. So if we carry forward kind of that idea of communication, what types of information are important to communicate to a child's teacher or teachers? I always say like it's always better to have too much information <laughs> than not enough. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously you don't want to overwhelm your child's teacher with all this information that's not relative um, <laughs> to their life at school. But um, whatever information that you feel as a parent is relevant uh, to your child's functioning in the school setting, go ahead and share it, right? And you also like that way when you share things like that, you're setting a precedent um, that you are willing to communicate and give information um, because a lot of times I hear from parents that, you know, they only hear from school if it's something bad or something negative or their child did something wrong is the only time that school is reaching out. Mm -hmm. So if a parent reaches out and shares information ahead of time and can possibly indicate that there may be some kind of struggle or that the parent is aware of mm -hmm. any kind of behavior going on that may present itself in the classroom, then you're taking that proactive step to open that door about communication mm -hmm. Um, instead of waiting for your child to do something in the classroom and then that warrants like a call home. So it would be a good idea for a parent to share, you know, what are my child's strengths? You know, mm -hmm. my kid loves to help others or they love to do tasks for adults. So maybe they would do really well with a classroom job or maybe um, you want to talk about areas of improvement. You know, maybe your kid has ADHD and they're working really hard to 
you know, control their body or stay in their seat for a period of time. Um, so just letting the teacher know things like that um, or how they best learn, mm -hmm. how the teacher can set the child up for success, whether that's, you know, group work or maybe they work better independently. Um, just letting letting the teacher know. and It never hurts. It never hurts. Anything to add? I think that's something important in regards to sharing that information is to share it in writing. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important to note that. Anything um, that can be shared in writing, definitely do that. I think especially coming from teacher's perspective, when we receive an email, sometimes we're just skimming through as quick as we can, mm -hmm. and then we can come back to it. And maybe sometimes when we're having a conversation, we're having a quick conversation that we didn't retain as much as we would have hoped. So having those things in writing is really important. I think something else, if we're speaking, or if anyone that's listening is a parent of a child who has been recently hospitalized, I think it's really important to note that any information from the hospitalization um, that could be pertinent to helping school functioning and or have interventions in place for kiddo. I think it's important to note to share those things. So it's definitely important information to share with um, maybe not the teachers, but uh, definitely a school psychologist, definitely a counselor and or principal and or mental health specialist in the school and setting. So staying on this theme of communication, what is like, how do you think about older kids and how much of the communication they can or should be responsible for themselves hmm. and where kind of a parent or guardian or caregiver's involvement should end mm -hmm. or take a step back? So society tells us that kiddos are adults at 18, right? <laughs> so it's really important to teach those skills to help them to be successful as soon as possible. Um, and so that's something to note. Um, but something else to note is that, um, you know, all kiddos, everyone's different and everyone should be seen from an individualized, um, you know, lens. Mm -hmm. And so a, a child's need for support could be different on a child to child basis. I will say um, when a kiddo is more high achieving and or mature and independent and enjoys having those autonomous on conversations with adults, you know, that would be a child that may have a conversation with a, an adult at school by their by themselves. Mm -hmm. But that same aged peer who is more anxious and struggles to voice their concerns and or feels like someone may be mad at them if they talk about how they're feeling might need a little bit of guidance and a parent, you know, stepping in to be a part of that meeting. Um, I think that the most important thing that we can do for a kiddo that's older is support them. Mm -hmm. And so that doesn't mean speaking for them. That doesn't mean, um, you know, lashing out at others as a means to protect them, but more so guide them in understanding how to speak to their teachers because that skill is very valuable when you have your own job and you have a boss and you need to have com hard conversations. So teaching that skill is going to um, you know, transfer into adulthood in many different ways. Um, so it's very dependent on every specific child, but I hope that's helpful in some capacity. No, I think it is. And I think that it's just, it's hard to know when to start to back off. Mm -hmm. Um, and as a parent, you know, there's a point that I'm like, let's start talking about how you can do this yourself. Mm -hmm. And one of my kiddos in particular is like, no, please don't make me do it. <laughs> Even though that kiddo is perfectly capable of doing it. Mm -hmm. So I think that you're right. It, it varies from child to child, but you're right. The reminder that by 18, society <laughs> expects them to know how to do these things, um, is an important reminder that, 
giving them the opportunities, but supporting them makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. And then giving those opportunities in ways that feel comfortable and uncomfortable, right? Mm -hmm. So for that kiddo who's saying, please don't make me do this. Well, let's see you try for 10 minutes and then I'll step in. So Mm -hmm. can we agree that 10 minutes will be the time you'll be able to talk? And creating those small implemented plans can really be helpful. And and then he may see, oh, that wasn't so hard. I could do it for 20 minutes next time. (laughs) So yeah, I think it's helpful. I like that. Any additional thoughts, Melissa? Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking about the kids that tend to catastrophize like things Mm -hmm. if they need help and don't know how or the best way to ask for it. And I can walk them through steps for reaching out for support and, you know, they hesitate. And, you know, I put it pretty simply like, what are you afraid of? What? What's stopping you? Like, what's the worst thing they could say is no or sorry, I can't help you or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we can problem solve from there. So just kind of breaking it down into small steps. Mm, You know, what do you think is, you know, kind of checking the facts? Like, what do you what do you think is going to happen? You think they're going to be mad at you? Like, is that a realistic thought? And so what if they are mad at you? That's okay. They're allowed their feelings. Um, but you need to advocate for yourself to get what you need. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter how they're feeling in that situation, does it? And then they kind of, you know, look at me like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. (laughs) So just kind of breaking it down like that, too. I always say to kiddos, once you open a door, you can walk in and out of it. But if you never open that door, you can't go inside of it ever, right? So just open the door and let's see. We'll check it out. We might go back out, but at least then you can open it again. (laughs) I think there's a lot of wisdom, though, in playing out what could happen and having a plan Mm -hmm. for what we're going to do. Okay, so somebody gets upset that you ask the question, what's our plan for what we do in that instance? Mm -hmm. And our adult brains know that it's probably pretty unlikely that the catastrophe situation is going to be what happens. But... I can see that it's helpful to just think through it. And mm-hmm. I feel like we do that, right? As adults, mm, we do. We, we do that. We're do. like, okay, um, but kids haven't learned it yet. Yes. No, that's amazingly helpful. Thank you both for those thoughts and ideas. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about like maintaining motivation and enthusiasm um, kind of through the school year. Um, and I feel like everybody has that right now, but as spring comes and weather starts to get nice and the end of school year comes into sight, it gets harder and harder. Um, what are some strategies that families can can use to keep kids going? I think it's important to identify what your child is motivated by. Mm-hmm. Um, are they motivated by spending time with their friends? Are they motivated by getting new clothes? Are they motivated by being more independent, making, you know, choices on their own. What is going to get them, you know, out the door, get to school, put forth the effort, all of those good things from now until the end of May. Um, So having that conversation, it's so easy. You know, what, asking your child, what do you want to do or what do you want to earn in exchange for the expectation of going to school and, you know, doing the best that you can. You know, we're not asking for straight A's or even straight B's or anything like that. Um, But again, going back to those like realistic goals, Mm -hmm. um, if these are the goals that you want to achieve, let's say you run out of steam or you have some kind of setback, which happens, right? 
everybody experiences highs and lows throughout the school year. But if you have some kind of setback, like how are you going to bounce back from that? And what can we do as parents to help support you in that? Yeah, I think something that parents can do as well as um, make themselves relatable and not rela- relatable in the sense of, well, when I was in high school, more so <laughs> relatable in the sense of, you know, sometimes I struggle with motivation and or sometimes I struggle to be enthusiastic about getting up and going to work. And then and then so why do you go, right? Um, and so some of those skills that you can practice to help yourself to stay motivated and enthusiastic are things like pre-coping instead of... Um, experiencing something that will help you be emotionally dysregulated and then coping with it, thinking about it, causing that feeling and then planning out how you're going to cope, right? So we do that as adults all the time. Um, You know, oh, I have a big seminar. I have to sit in for five hours. What am I going to do tomorrow, right? So we pre-cope for those situations. Things like preparing the night before for school, laying out your um, laying out your clothing and packing up your backpack and making your lunch, pre-making your lunch, um, not sleeping in your uniform like I used to. But <laughs> um, scaffolding support uh, can be another really good way to help a kiddo be enthusiastic. Things like um, mentioning that you're going to help them to get into the school building for about a week. And then after the week, you're going to check in to see if they can take some steps on their own um, into the building. And then you'll be in an five minutes later, right? Things like that. So there's a bunch of different coping strategies to practice. And I think one big thing is, you know, helping yourself be relatable and speaking about what you do mm-hmm. and helping the kid transfer that to their functionality in the school environment. And reminding them what they're working towards and reminding them all of all the positive things and positive feelings that can come out of achieving what they want to achieve. Oh, yeah. So, you know, your kiddo recently was hyped about joining the basketball team, but, you know, practice has been a lot and they're saying, I I don't want to go. I want to quit. Right. But then reminding them like, okay, this is a commitment that you made. Mm -hmm. And I know you feel so good when you're hanging out with your teammates and your coach gives you a high five. And then, you know, if you perform really well on the court, like I know you, that makes you feel really good and proud and strong and you're developing skills. Um, Just reminding them of all that positive stuff that can come out of doing things that maybe in the moment they don't want to do or they're going back on it. Right. Um, but just reminding them like the little positive things and how valuable of a skill it is to be able to do something Mm -hmm. you don't like to do. (laughs) Right. Yes. Well, and I think there's also, um, you know, I found just in my own parenting, like really, I mean, not making such a big deal out of it, but when they do something they don't want to do breaking it down a little bit afterwards. I mean, because most of the time they end up having fun anyway. And Mm -hmm. so I do think that you know, I have to be careful not to overdo it and just continue to talk about it because then I got the eye rolls. But, <laughs> but I do think like, Hey, how'd that go? Mm-hmm. What, you know, what was surprising about that experience can help to just to like cement next time. Like, Oh, okay. It was fun. Absolutely. So we've, I, I know both of you have talked about goals and the smart goals in particular. Mm-hmm. Could we spend just a couple minutes talking about those and like tell it, share with us again what that acronym is, what it means, and like what the benefits of these goals are for kids and their families. Yeah, of course. So SMART goals, um, SMART is an acronym. So um, the S stands for specific. The M is measurable. The A is achievable. The R is relevant. And the T is time bound. So um, 
many people think about making a goal as something that they're just going to start doing out of the blue and they're going to have to be all in on it. And if they aren't, they won't achieve it. Um, and so those SMART goals help us to make sure that they fit within, you know, number one, that we're being specific enough mm -hmm. that we can check in on our progress, measurable, right, achievable, that I can actually do it. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so, for example, if I just broke my foot and I'm expecting myself to in the first week of getting back to running, run four miles, that may not be an achievable goal that I want to set for myself. Um, and then relevant relevance to our lives. Right. Um, if I'm a mother with a newborn baby making a goal to wake up at 5 a.m., um, to go work out for the first time in January 1st may not be the most relevant and smart goal to make. Um, and uh, time bound is making sure that you have a time frame that you're going to be checking in on that goal. Um, so I think that's kind of just a, a brief synopsis of what smart, smart goals are. And um, when we're making smart goals, they can apply to our functionality in school, our relationships with others, coping strategies, all types of different things. There's some really good videos on YouTube about SMART goals, and I love showing my kids in the classroom those videos because it, they have pictures and they kind of tell you what those are. So I suggest looking those up if a parent is listening. Very yeah. helpful. And as kids achieve those goals, what's kind of coming along with achieving goals? Like what what is the benefit of mm. being able to say, yes, I did it? So that kind of goes back to – uh, the motivation mm -hmm. of the thing that kind of got you started in working towards that goal in the first place. So we talk about um, in our program external motivation versus internal motivation, like that intrinsic versus extrinsic. So there might be uh, an external motivator that you're working towards. So once you achieve that goal, what comes along with it? I don't know. Maybe you get a trophy. You get an A. You get you know, $20 from your grandma for a good report card, whatever that external motivator is, that's what you get. Mm -hmm. But you also think about those internal motivators, those feelings, those good feelings. So whether that's pride or accomplishment or satisfaction, mm -hmm. um, you know, you make yourself proud, you make your family proud, it's just that general like happiness and calm feeling that you get for, for achieving a goal that you set for yourself. You know, and we talk a lot about those positive feelings and that's like the internal motivator because mm -hmm. it's important to recognize that there's not always extrinsic motivator. There's not mm -hmm. always like a tangible thing right. that you're going to uh, receive for doing things in your life, for completing a task or, you know, achieving a goal. So it's important to recognize those internal motivators because that's what will keep you going mm -hmm. in, well into adulthood. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like a SMART goal can be as small or as big as you need it to be. Absolutely. And so, I mean, a time-bound SMART goal could literally be this week, mm -hmm. right? There could be a goal around we're going to be out of bed mm -hmm. by this time three out of five days this week. Mm -hmm. And that's can be a SMART goal. And so as teachers or uh, mentors and you know, we're guiding kiddos. Sometimes a kiddo might write that goal and we're, and they say five out of five days a week. Mm -hmm. And so we might say, let's, let's just make sure that we don't expect ourselves to be perfect. Right. And check in on that. So yes, like you said, checking in on making sure that they're achievable and measurable and, and specific in all those ways can be really helpful for kiddos um, moving forward, making goals on their own and talking through that is really helpful. I love that. 
So speaking of the trouble getting out of bed, um, <laughs> if if there's a family who what they're working on for the second half of the school year is getting to school consistently, mm-hmm. um, what are some steps that families can talk about if tardiness or being absent for an entire day is kind of where they are and what they are working through? Yeah, so um, avoiding school is like a symptom of a larger problem, right? So school avoidance is connected to lots of other disorders, diagnoses, behaviors, right? So it's important to identify the reasoning or the function behind the school avoidant behavior. They're not just going because they don't want to go. They don't want to go because they're struggling academically. They don't want to go because there's peer conflict. They're struggling with their social skills. Um, just there's a laundry list of reasons, right, why a kiddo could avoid school. So getting down to the function of the behavior, the why, maybe they're just, you know, this is their way of crying out for help that, you know, there's a bullying problem going on or they're worried about being separated from a parent that may be ill or something like that. Um, so understanding why and then addressing that problem, which is typically something more internal. So, um you know, if if school avoidance is a really large problem and the goal is to get back to school, letting somebody at school know that that's what you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. Usually school will have additional suggestions. Sometimes they'll do like mentoring or peer conflict resolution, mediation, things like that. If that's the barrier, different districts do lots of different things. Mm -hmm. Um, So we would recommend reaching out to the school. And then if it continues to be a consistent problem, reaching out to, you know, your provider, like your family doctor, pediatrician, um, and they can usually give some suggestions for a referral for mental health, um, you know, if there's an underlying issue that's contributing to the school avoidance. So speaking of reaching out to people at the school, who's kind of, what are the roles that most schools typically have who can be helpful Mm -hmm. um, to reach out to in an instance like that? Mm -hmm. We oftentimes talk to school counselors. And in best case scenario, there is a mental health. um, We've heard them called many different things like a mental health specialist and or um, family resource coordinator. Um, They have multiple different titles. But I think the most important thing for each parent to know is to call the school and explain the concern and ask who those the best people to speak with might be. Oftentimes in elementary schools, it's principals. Principals like to be aware of concerns kiddos are having. I've um, had some really wonderful principals work with us before. Um, so, And then if a kiddo has special education services, that's when a, um, a school psychologist would be more involved. Um, and then in other cases, there's the district representative. So there are so many different people that can be in place to support. And oftentimes, best case scenario, everyone's wearing a different hat and, the, and, and everyone comes together as a team because no one person can you know, solve the struggle by themselves. Um, but yes, that's typically who we who we chat with: counselors, school psychologists, mental health professionals. Well, you have um, answered all the questions that I had prepared for us today. So grateful for the time and for your expertise. Would love to just kind of wrap up our time. If you would each just any final words of wisdom or advice or thoughts about anything that maybe we haven't covered fully in our time today. I think that as it comes to viewing school avoidance, just like Melissa said, it's really important that we 
think of it as a specific need, right? Like Melissa said. So um, if a child is school avoidant, there's typically something else going on. And it's really important as adults that are in place to support kiddos that we um, explore that. So um, I think putting our best foot forward and seeing things in the most positive light that we possibly can can help our kiddos to be successful. And the sooner that we help helping, we start helping kiddos, the, the sooner things can make a change and can change the outcome of their success in life. Yeah, we talked a lot about communication mm-hmm. over the past 30 minutes or so. So going forward, if you haven't had a lot of communication with your child's school, um, now's the great time to start, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, like they say, it, it takes a village, right? And we use those terms like team approach and collaboration and communication. And there's a reason for that because the more engagement and relationship there is between child and parent and school, you know, the better things work, right? It's a well-oiled machine. Like when I, I said earlier, like everybody's on the same page and we're all working towards the same thing and teachers and parents all want the best for the child. Um, so if, if everybody's working together, that's how, you know, the outcome is most positive. Very wise words. Thank you <laughs> both for your time and for joining us today. And I will just close by wishing all of the families who are listening a successful second half of the school year and hope that we will see you again next time. You've been listening to the Young and Healthy Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. This episode of Young and Healthy was recorded on January 9th, 2024. The content of the Young and Healthy Podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. This episode was produced by Kayla McNeil, and our theme music was created by Stephen Grieco. Thanks for listening. Follow Cincinnati Children's on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.